The air fryer, though, my goodness, my goodness. I think of all of the gadgets that have come out in the past couple of years, the air fryer takes the cake for me, just that it produces such delicious, crispy, tasty food so quickly. And it really does a lot for some of those mundane kids' foods. Like a dino nugget out of an air fryer is substantially better than a dino (laughs) nugget out of the microwave. Are you ready to enter the chat? Today, we are talking all about mealtime with TV personality and chef Kelsey Nixon. She's here to answer some of your questions. Kelsey, welcome to the Mom Force. I'm so happy you're here. I am so genuinely thrilled to be here. I am such a fan. I love the podcast. I love chat books. So thank you so much for having me. Well, the feeling is mutual. I'm a huge fan of yours. And are you ready to enter the chat? I am ready to enter the chat. Bring it on. Bring it on. All right. Will you start by just telling our audience a little bit about yourself? Sure. So my name is Kelsey Nixon. I was born and raised in northern Utah. I went to BYU and pursued a degree in broadcast journalism. And while I was there, I got this crazy idea that news didn't feel like my calling, but food television felt like my calling. And it was right when Food Network was kind of catching in popularity. And so I had this crazy idea to start a cooking show at BYU. And it was fresh off an internship with Martha Stewart Living, where I got to work on a cooking show. Needless to say, I did this cooking show at BYU for a couple of years that is so embarrassing to watch now. But at the time, I've seen clips and it is the cutest thing ever. You've got to start somewhere, right? And great blackmail material in those clips. But I did this and it's worth mentioning in my story because it was so pivotal in in me developing passion for food and family. And I ended up going to culinary school school afterwards. And then while I was in culinary school, I was cast on a reality food competition show called Food Network Star, where people were competing to win their own cooking shows. And I mean, break of a lifetime. I was 23 when I got on the show and I didn't realize it, but I was certainly cast as the the girl who thought she knew what she was doing, but really had no idea what she was doing. Oh my goodness. (laughs) But I went, I did the show. It was great. It really got my foot in the door. I didn't win the show, but I did well enough. And as a result from the show, Bobby Flay, who was a judge, ended up thinking that I had something special. And his production company ended up producing a show for me that ran for seven seasons on Food Network and Cooking Channel. And it just kind of kicked off this decade long experience of of being a, a cooking show host. So that was so exciting. It led to writing cookbook and doing a line of cookware and whatnot for the Home Shopping Network. And all while this was happening, I was building my family, which was tricky and challenging and beautiful and all those things at the same time. But so I, I, my background is in food media, and now I spend most of my time helping families get dinner on the table through a company I have called Recipe Club. Yep, and I can hear in the background, darling Nora. Tell us a little <laughs> bit about your kids. How many kids do you have? I have three children. So I have a 10-year-old, Ollie, a five-year-old, Nora. Oh, she's six now. She, Oh, my goodness. A six-year-old, Nora, <laughs> and a two-and-a-half-year-old, Penny. So I am in the trenches of motherhood, and it's the best of times and occasionally the worst of times. We all can relate. 
They are such a blessing. I just love them. My kids are actually be so jealous that I'm talking to you because they are huge Bobby Flay fans. For some reason, every time we go on vacation, we're in a hotel, the TV goes on immediately to the Food Network. Yes. We love Guy Fieri. We love Bobby Flay. I love that you got to work with them. And I'm excited to get your take on some of these questions. Are you ready to dive in? Let's do it. Let's do it. Okay. Well, the first one is about timing of dinner. And I know this is unique to every family, but Amber from the Mom Force Facebook group, she said, I'm super curious about what time you have dinner as a family. Our kids are so young, three years and eight months, and they eat early and go to bed so early that my husband misses dinner often. And I'm wondering how similar are we to others with this? Okay. Well, I think she is so similar. This, I think timing is actually one of the most challenging parts of dinner. What's so tricky about this is that you're right. It has to do with the makeup of your family. We all know that feeding toddlers versus feeding teenagers are two wildly different experiences. And what's interesting is that throughout the calendar year, things change too, because you may have periods where you have kids that are in lots of extracurricular activities and when they're home for Christmas break or summer is feeding your family in the summer is so different than feeding your family during the school year. So I think it's important to realize that this might be a question you have to ask yourself and reevaluate often. Over and over again. Yep. So for Amber, I have been there and not too long ago. It's tough to create that idyllic family situation where you all sit down and break bread together when you have toddlers and babies. And I think you first just need to give yourself a break that that might not happen. And that's totally normal. For this season of life. I like to look at it as seasons, right? Yes. Yes. But One thing I, how I would approach this and how I approached this when I was in a similar situation is I think it's totally normal to feed your kids early. Nobody likes a hangry child, especially during the witching hour. So when your kids are ready to eat, I would totally feed them earlier. And I don't know about your kids, but my kids thrive on a routine and a schedule. So I typically would say, I don't know, whatever it is for your kids, 530 is when the kids eat. If dad's home, great. If mom's home, great. Whatever it is, the kids are going to eat at 530. Lots of times dinner becomes this really just, it's a mundane thing, people. People have to eat. It's a mundane thing where people just have to eat. But I think the most important aspect of dinner is actually connection. So whether or not you have old enough kids to connect or not, in your situation, I think it's awesome to to kind of connect with your husband, right? And if that means eating dinner at 8.30 after the kids have gone to bed, that can be a really special time for you guys to sit down, break bread together, go over the day, and don't beat yourself up for not having your three-year-old and your eight-month-old there. So in this season of life, I would actually suggest splitting the two dinners up, feeding the kids separately, and and then having dinner with your partner. But it's going to change all the time. And I think that that's one reason meal planning can be frustrating is that it's not one size fits all, even for for different times of the year, like I said. So you have to be willing to adapt and that's how you're going to find the most success. Yep. There was a season in our family's life where my husband worked very late and traveled a lot. And so when my kids got home from school, we had dinner at like 4 p.m. Because I got tired of doing the whole snack routine and then Mm -hmm. doing dinner by myself and then having to, you know, feed my husband. So we just did dinner when they got home from school. And then if dad was home while they were still awake, they had snack with him. And sometimes they just missed him. But that that was totally okay. And I loved I loved being able to just like flip the script. We don't all have to be sitting around the table. The point is people need to be fed. And I love that you brought up connection. And so I was able to connect more with my kids talking about 
after school around our early dinner and then connect later with my husband. So, yeah. so many good thoughts. Yeah. I have a really good friend who has a kid that just started playing competitive travel soccer or whatever. And her life is crazy now and they have to drive quite a ways to get there. And she told me, I, I laughed at first and thought, you are crazy. And now I totally think it's a brilliant idea. On Tuesdays and Thursdays, they have dinner in the car. Yep. And she's like, that's just the way we have to do it because she'd reached out and said, I need some car dinners. What are some dinners I could serve in the car? And that's why I thought it was so funny. But one one thing we talked about is her and her family do a similar thing that we do where we share sweet and sour every day at the dinner table That's or wherever we're at. And so she's like, we go through the same steps that we would at a dinner table. We just do it in the car. So I think that's really nice too, is having dinner. Yes, it's about the food and filling those empty bellies, but think about the other things that you do when you sit down. Maybe you say a prayer or like a statement of gratitude, or um, maybe it's sharing the high and the lows, or maybe it's going over the schedule for the next day. And that can happen at your dinner table. It can happen at a kitchen island. It can happen in the baseball park if your son's playing, or it can happen in the car. So Well, we've done the car dinners. We've done the baseball park dinners. And I love keeping kind of those routines. We also do highs and lows in our family. I'm down to just two of my seven kids living at home. And last night at the dinner table, we went through our highs and lows. And I was just like, I'm so grateful for those little traditions that bind us together. All right. Next topic, snacks. Because you can't talk about meals with kids without (laughs) talking about snacks. Timing of (laughs) snacks. How many snacks? Should they have access to snacks? Anyway, this is a question from Nina. She says, if I hear my three-year-old tell me she's hungry again, we literally just had lunch 45 minutes ago. She had a homemade Lunchable. So crackers, cheese, ham, strawberries, broccoli. She ate 85% of every meal I served her. I feel like her hunger just comes from boredom. I know Mm -hmm. she's not hungry. But dang, if I hear I'm hungry one more time... How do you handle snacks at your house with little ones? Oh, I am in the snack phase. <laughs> Let me tell you, with a 10-year-old, a 6-year-old, and a 2-year-old, everyone always wants a snack. So I feel your pain, Nina. This is, Vanessa, you said maybe what's for dinner is your least favorite question. What can I have for a snack is can my least favorite Can I have a snack? <laughs> can I have a snack? <laughs> so this is what has been working best for us. And this is actually something I implemented last summer because I find that the snacking questions are are the most prevalent in my home during those summer months when there's more, when everyone's at home a little bit more. So it's tricky. I get concerned about restricting food in any capacity, right? Because I want my kids to have a healthy relationship with food and I want them to learn how to listen to their bodies. And if they're hungry, I want them to be able to have something. But it's it's tricky. And I totally understand what Nina's saying. You just ate. I think you're bored. You're not hungry. So one thing that's helped us is we have a fridge snack bin. So there's literally one of those acrylic bins in my refrigerator that says snacks. And when my kids ask for a snack and they have eaten 45 minutes earlier, and I think it might be from boredom, I usually say you can have a fridge snack. Because usually the snacks that are found in the fridge are a lot more healthy than the snacks that are found in the pantry. So in our fridge bin, it's like string cheese, the yogurt tubes, apples, carrots, things like that. So I'm saying, yes, you can have a snack, but it's it's a healthier snack without me calling it a healthy snack. And so that is something that's really worked well in my family. Now the kids know the difference between a pantry snack and a fridge snack. But when I realize that maybe someone's just a little bored, it, it's a fridge snack. So hopefully that helps Nina, but 
just hang in there. Kids go through phases of, you know, Mm -hmm. their snackiness. But it's so frustrating when you feel like all they just snack all day long and then they're not ready to actually eat the meal that you have planned and prepped and prepared. Yeah. The other thing that we've done is I have, you know, we'll do for a while we're using like a dinner bell or and when kids are home during the the summer, we'll use it for lunch. And they would get so excited when it's like, is it time for dinner? Is it time for lunch? And they'd ring the bell. So I, I don't know that that's like a, a great tip for everyone. But if you can gamify it in some way about when we have meal times and when we have snack times, yeah. I think that can be a nice way for, for young kids as well. Or set a, set a timer with your smart device or whatever. And when the timer goes off, that means dinner's in 10 minutes. It was something like that. But a first step, first sign of defense for me has been the fridge snack. Fridge bin. Okay. I love it. Great tips. I polled our audience about what the biggest pain point is around feeding our families. 51% said meal planning. 26% actually making the meal, which I thought was interesting. I expected yeah. that to be flipped. So having to have that answer of what's for dinner every single day can be exhausting. And especially here we are at the beginning of a new year, and we all probably want to do better, make more nutritious, more homemade meals. A lot of us are pulling back on the budget. We know that it mm-hmm. can be financially better for a pocketbook to be cooking at home, but the grind can be exhausting. Here's a question from Julie. She says, I'm realizing that I have an actual mental block about planning and making dinners. It's something I want to be able to do and have done in the past, but the last two months, it's all I can do to show up in other ways. Does anyone have an easy way to meal plan and or access to easy recipes? So, yeah. Tell us what works for you and your family. Well, I want to tell Julie that even someone who has spent the better part of 20 years in a career of trying to help families get dinner on the table, I still find myself frustrated by the never-ending hamster wheel of putting meals on the table. And so she's not alone. She's not doing anything wrong. I think we go through periods of burnout, just like we do with the laundry. I mean, I don't know that anyone really loves the laundry, <laughs> But other uh, but household it's always tasks, there. <laughs> right? It's always there. And as you're raising kids, you've at least got, you know, to, well, I don't know, Vanessa, you're towards the end, but still, you got to eat every single day. And so this is what I'm going to say. When you have a task that is not going away, it's a task worth investing in creating a system around, especially one that is so involved. Making dinner is not just deciding what to make. It's deciding then purchasing the groceries, then getting the groceries in the house, then actually cooking the meal, then hoping your kids will eat it, then cleaning up. There are so many different steps and that's why it feels so exhausting. So what I'm going to tell Julie and everyone really is that you need to accept that planning is going to help you. And I think that planning is the hardest part, accepting that you need to have a plan. And if you sit down and make the plan, it's going to be the biggest gift to yourself. This is my suggestion for getting started, is picking the same time every week, or maybe it's twice a week, to execute making a meal plan. Think of it almost like an exercise class, right? Maybe you're trying to move your body more and so you sign up to go to Pilates on Tuesday and Thursday mornings. Because you've signed up for the class, you're more motivated to do it. Now, I don't know that you need to sign up for a meal planning class, but what I do recommend is setting aside a certain time, the same time every single week, to ask yourself once, what are we having for dinner? So that you're not asking yourself every single day, what are we having for dinner? So what that looks like for me is setting aside the, 
this time. It's Thursday nights at 9 p.m. And that may be a terrible time for some people. For me, that happens to be the right time. On Thursdays, one of my favorite podcasts comes out. And so I habit stack or I take something that I like doing, listening to that podcast with something that I don't like doing, meal planning. Yes, even I don't You love don't meal like planning. meal planning? <laughs> well, I just... So it's comforting to know. It is. I, I We are real people and it's okay if you don't like it, but you still got to do it because you got to feed your family. So I tend to do those things at the exact same time. And sometimes I sit down and I meal plan and I realize, oh, we've got a baseball tournament this week and a ballet recital and we're traveling. Oh, I only need to make one meal this week. Okay. So then we do it. I'm a big fan of grocery pickup. And so I typically decide what we're going to make. I make my list. I place my order and then I pick up my groceries at the same time every week. So it's a system and it's the hardest part is going to be developing that system. But every week you do that system, it's going to get a little bit easier and it's going to feel a bit more manageable. The last thing I'll say to Julie is that I have found that recipes are this category that is is highly saturated. There are probably millions of recipes on the internet. And then you've got cookbooks and you've got your family recipes. If you are in a chapter of life or a season of life where things feel overwhelming, my suggestion is to pick a guide or two or three and get your recipes from one place so that you're not spending so much time looking for the perfect solution in lots of different places. Because I think that creates decision fatigue and it makes the process feel even more frustrating. So find a guide that you like. If you have um, certain dietary restrictions, find someone like my friend Daniel Walker is amazing at a paleo diet. Okay, she's great. She could be a guide for that. If you're looking for easy meals with less than 10 ingredients that are perfect for families, Recipe Club could be a great thing for you. If you are like a foodie and you want to to hit that passion with cooking, maybe Cooks Illustrated or America's Test Kitchen is a good fit for you. But pick a guide so that you don't spend so much time looking in 25 different places for recipes. I remember a busy phase of our family's life when all my kids were little. I literally just wrote down all of my favorite things and all the yeah. things that kids love. But I just rotated through those because I didn't have to think. I knew they liked them. I knew how to be, yeah. I could even like shop for them without even looking at it because I knew in my head, you know, what we needed. Exactly. And that kind of took that mental fatigue yeah, out. Yeah. I have a list in my phone, in my notes called the greatest hits. And that's where our greatest hits recipes go. And so if I am feeling that block of like, I have no idea, like I'll, I'll hear from my recipe club members a lot. I don't mind cooking. I just hate deciding what to Mm -hmm. make. And when you have those weeks when you just don't want to decide, going to a greatest hits list or lots of people have like a recipe binder where they take that that greatest hits list and they print out all of those recipes and they put them in the binder. The binder is a great solution for when you just can't. Now, there'll be times when it's Valentine's Day and you want to do a special meal for your kids and you get excited about that creative pursuit of a recipe. But when you're just trying to keep your head above water, stick to what you know. So good. So what is your favorite thing to make for dinner on a busy weeknight? (laughs) My favorite thing to make for dinner is something that my entire family will eat. And (laughs) I know that (laughs) whatever it is. is. Right now, no, I, I, I really do I really do love cooking, but I also recognize that I am in a phase of life where there's just, I'm just being pulled in so many different directions. But right now, a hit for us is, I'm going to say two. So 
I have a baked ziti that is probably my most popular recipe and it is definitely my son's favorite and my daughter Penny loves it and it's great because I can easily make two and stick one in the freezer and so if I go to the effort of making it once I get a two-for-one meal one goes in the freezer and one I can bake off for my family and it always yields leftovers so I like that recipe so much because not only is it delicious but it also solves some problems for me I almost Mm -hmm. get three meals out of it so baked ziti huge fan of that. And then I have, I'm a big proponent of sheet pan meals, anything to make cleanup easier. I have everything live in one place. And my daughter, Nora loves, I have a sheet pan pretzel chicken. That's really popular. Pretzels. Yes. So you grind up the pretzels and it coats the chicken and it gives it like a little salty sweet vibe. And it is so yummy. So she is so stoked on that recipe right now. And so, and she's my toughest one when it comes to picky eaters. And so I do enjoy making that because I know that it's going to be a fun, positive food experience for her. And she kind of feels like I'm, I'm doing something a little special for her. So those are two of my favorites right now. Yeah. I love sheet pan dinners and I, if ever it's possible to double and have it Put it in the freezer, yes. or put it in the fridge, or even sometimes I'll take it to someone who like might yes. be sick or their family's sick. Work smarter, not harder. I love that yep. so much. Uh, if you had to choose one of these, which one and why? Instant pot, crock pot, or air fryer? Or are all three necessary? <laughs> I use all three, but I would love to get your take on that. No, I love it. I have, I've got opinions, Vanessa. Okay, let's (laughs) hear it. It's a little bit of a toss up between my slow cooker and my air fryer. But let's first talk about the Instant Pot. I am not the biggest fan of the Instant Pot. Now, that doesn't mean that I don't think other people should not love it, embrace it, and use it. A, I, I just enjoy the creative process of cooking, even when it's chaotic. And to me, the Instant Pot is like a science experiment. You put everything in, you push a button, you cross your <laughs> fingers, true. and you hope it works out. And so that kind of takes out some of what I like about cooking. Even with the slow cooker, I can lift up the lid and see if the meat's getting tender. And I have that aroma that smells so good in my house. So I, I also, my kids are young and I don't have a super big family. And so I think an instant pot can be great when you're doing like batch protein cooking and things like that. And currently for my family, I don't have that need as much as some, some other people may have. So instant pot is the easiest one for me to set aside. I own one, but I, I haven't touched it in a while. The slow cooker I do. I love, I love for you know, Sunday pot roast and shredded pork and shredded beef tacos. But it does require, even though it's easy, it requires some advanced planning, right? Because that's really got to go for a couple of hours. The air fryer though, my goodness, my goodness. I think of all of the gadgets that have come out in the past couple of years, the air fryer takes the cake for me, just that it produces such delicious, crispy, tasty food so quickly. And it really does a lot for some of those mundane kids' foods. Like a dino nugget out of an air fryer is substantially better than a dino nugget out of the microwave. (laughs) But is it healthier for you? (laughs) That's what's what's so crazy. So, But honestly, what I use my air fryer for most are side veggies at dinner because I love taking whether it's some French green beans or even Brussels sprouts, which I can convince my kids to eat, or um, broccoli. And I have this great tool. It's like an oil spritzer. 
Oh, yeah. So you put olive oil like in a little spritzer and I spritz it and I give it a little salt pepper. Sometimes I'll do a lemon pepper. And because of the way an, an air fryer works, you get that crispiness with the tenderness. Mm. And I'm just convinced it's the most delicious way to cook vegetables. So I mentioned the dino nugget, but honestly, the thing <laughs> I use it most for is vegetables. So I just want to well, clear my name there. Hey, all we use, basically all I use our air fryer for is reheating pizza. Yeah. But veggies because the last two nights I have steamed veggies in the microwave because uh-huh. I've been out of time and I wanted to have a veggie on the side but I don't really love steamed broccoli mm-hmm. that way I should have put it in the air fryer I'm going to yes. try that next time because I Vanessa, love it takes the same amount of time as the microwave it's well so that's so why fast. I go to the microwave because I really prefer my broccoli roasted in the oven yeah uh but I didn't have time for it but the air fryer okay you are blowing my mind I'm you got so... you got to report back I, I'm telling okay, you air fryer broccoli <laughs> is so delicious I might even prefer over oven roasted because I swear it gets even crispier so <sighs> Yes, you I'm excited to try it. Go beyond the the leftover <laughs> pizza, which by the way, leftover pizza is best in an air fryer, just yes. in case no one's ever tried it. <laughs> and the chicken nuggets and try doing your veggies in your your air fryer and I think you'll be pleasantly surprised. Oh, you're awesome. Thank you for sharing so many of your secret tips and tricks. Can you just give us a little bit behind the scenes about one of the cooking segments you did and tell us like what was one of the most difficult things you had to do? This is a great question. So I have been on many of the shows. I have been on Chopped a couple of times. Unfortunately, I cannot tell you that I have won Chopped. I have always lost Chopped. But it is, like, you think it looks hard sitting on your couch and watching? I think being on Chopped is hands down the hardest thing I've ever had to do. So my stressful. first, Yes, my first time being on Chopped, I'll never forget opening my first basket. And there was a fully cooked goose. My first ingredient was a, a goose. goose? <laughs> Like a Christmas goose. I have never had that in my entire life. I didn't know what to do with it. I was pregnant at the time. So I had this. And I just was like, what am I doing? (laughs) This is so crazy. So I've been on Chopped. I've been on Guys Grocery Games, which I love being on that show. That is such a fun show to do. It reminds me of Supermarket Sweep that I used to watch growing up. Did you ever watch that? Yeah, yeah. Uh Oh, the best. I've been on a show called Cutthroat Kitchen that's hosted by Elton Brown. To answer the question, I'm going to go back to one of the first challenges I ever did on food television, which was on that Food Network star show that I did way back in 2008. And we had been told the challenge was, Make a product that you could put in a jar or a bottle that represents your culinary point of view. And at the time, I was this kid fresh out of college, and I wanted to teach college kids how to cook anyways. And so I came up with this thing called the all-in-one sauce, and it was going to be a tomato-based sauce that could skew sweet but also savory. So you could serve it with pasta, you could do a sloppy joe or something like that. And we'd been told that there was going to be a mystery guest who was going to taste all of our different products and then pick a winner. And no one knew who it was, but we had to make this product, jar it, and then wait for the guest to arrive. And lo and behold, the guest was Martha Stewart. And I was fresh off interning for Martha's company for two summers before that. So they kind of had a storyline there. And Mm -hmm. I really admired Martha and all of that. And she comes to my table and I had made sloppy joes with my all-in-one sauce. And she, let me tell you what Martha Stewart's probably not a fan of, a sloppy joe. She looked (laughs) at my sloppy joes and she said, can I have a fork? And I was like, 
have a fork for you. And so we had, everyone had to ruffle around trying Martha, Martha finally got a fork to taste my sloppy Joe mixture. And I wish I thought my one chance to feed Martha Stewart something. And I feed her a sloppy <laughs> Joe. And anyway, oh, well, never, she's missing out. If she hasn't had the joy of picking up a big I, sloppy Joe and digging into it. I'm sorry, Martha, you're missing oh, out. Oh, anyways. So maybe, maybe That's another awesome. time I'll get to feed her marmalade or something. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. All right, Kelsey, I'd love to switch gears right now. And I couldn't have you on the podcast without having you share your incredible journey of becoming a mother. And sure. for anyone listening, I recommend go to Kelsey's Instagram and watch the highlights. She's done a highlight for her her children and her pregnancy and birth stories. But I wanted to share with you this post, which was actually posted anonymously on our Mom Force Facebook group. It says, I have a good friend that reached out to me the other day, letting me know that she was feeling very lost and alone and is unsure what her purpose is if she can't have children. She's been struggling with infertility issues for years and is unable to have any children of her own. She's scared to adopt and doesn't know if she can afford that. She feels like she's running out of time now that she's 40 years old, and I want to help her. I'm just not sure what to do or say. I think she could benefit from seeing an infertility therapist. Do you have any suggestions for her? Kelsey, what is your advice for those who are in the trenches of infertility? Yeah, so building my family was not, uh, it didn't work the good old-fashioned way. So we experienced uh, two micropremies, an infant loss, being told that it wasn't safe for me to carry future pregnancies, gestational surrogacy. Like we have, we've checked all, most of the boxes when it comes to navigating building a family. And with that came so much heart, heartache frustration, financial sacrifice, physical sacrifice, emotional sacrifice. It just was unbelievably exhausting. So I just, I feel for her friend and it can feel so, so lonely. And my best advice in supporting someone who's going through that and really seeing that pain that they're experiencing is to encourage them to find a support network where they're surrounded by other people who are experiencing something similar. It wasn't until I found, a, and it doesn't have to be a lot of people, it, it can, and really it can just be one. The hardest thing I went through was, was losing uh, my son who was born at 25 weeks and lived for about a month before passing away due to complications from his prematurity in the NICU and simultaneously being told that it wasn't safe for me to carry future pregnancies. And it was unbelievably lonely. My sister, who I'm very close to, was pregnant at the same time as me. We had due dates within a few days of each other. So I had this sister that I loved who was experiencing this pregnancy that I was supposed to be experiencing with her. And it wasn't until I found someone who had also lost a baby and figured out how to still grow their family that I really felt seen. And I could, I, I really just, it was like a it was like a big warm hug to find that person. So you can only do so much when you can't totally relate. And my advice to her is the best thing to always say when someone opens up their heart to you and you can't relate is, I'm so sorry. I am so sorry. I love you. I am so sorry. But I would maybe encourage your friend to look in places where she might find some people who are going through similar things. And there's no better time to do that than with social media at our fingertips, right? It may be as simple as searching hashtags on Instagram or looking for Facebook groups or looking for 
therapists who specialize in, in certain areas. That can be a more expensive route, which I also experienced. But finding someone who, who knows what it feels like to be you a little bit. And then also those people are likely, should you be wanting to pursue a solution or research out different ways that you could build your family? That's going to be the best place for you to find those resources because those people are all doing the same thing as opposed to you who maybe doesn't have to do that research because you're able to build your family in a more traditional way. So support. I love you. I'm so sorry. And let's get you to a group or let's find you some friends who can experience, who know what it feels like to to go through what you're going through. Yeah, that's such great advice. And you've been through it all, Kelsey. So mm-hmm. that, that comes from deep experience. And I love that you mentioned that your sister was, you know, pregnant at the same time and going through mm-hmm. what you had hoped that you'd go through together. And it, it leads me to this question from Jeanette from the Mom Force. She says, I've been struggling with guilt this pregnancy for friends and family members that I know that have been trying to get pregnant and dealing with infertility or pregnancy loss. I just feel like, why do I get to be pregnant when they are trying just as hard? With social media, the awareness of loss and fertility is much higher, and I find myself feeling consumed with empathy and sadness for those that I know dealing with it. My hormones are not helping with the weepiness that this is causing me to have, but I guess I'm curious if you have any advice. Oh, Jeanette, you sweet, deeply feeling person. <laughs> I I just, you're right. This is, um, and you know, I had a front row seat to this in, in my sister. In fact, it she was such a beautiful example of of how one could positively conduct themselves in such a sensitive situation. Because she was still pregnant and she went on to have this baby, the first thing she did is she came to me and she said, I love you so much and I want to do the right thing, but I don't know what the right thing is. Do you want me to talk about it? Do you want me to not talk about it? And we just had an open conversation and kind of established an open line of communication where it was like, right now, I'm okay with you talking about it. And I'm I'm okay with, I threw her a baby shower. I still want to do this. I still want to throw you a baby shower. But if I had been in a place two days before that baby shower where I needed to call her up and say, I can't do this. She would have been okay with that. So I think it's having a line of communication where you can go back and forth because as hard as it is to watch family members and, and friends go through infertility, as someone who's been on the side of that, I still genuinely felt so much joy for my friends who are having babies. Not every day, not all the time, but I had more moments of feeling that joy for them. I don't think it's safe to assume that they don't want to hear about your pregnancy or the joy you feel about it. But I do think it's important to communicate and to ask sensitively and give them the space when they need it without being frustrated when they can't be there for you. But one of my greatest experiences, and I never, I lost my son in in March and my niece was born in June. That's when my son was supposed to be born. And I was so broken, but I had this impression and this feeling that I needed to be at the birth of her daughter. And she had my niece and she had invited me to do so. And some people may think, why in the, it was the same hospital where I had lost my son, same doctor. Why in the world would you expose yourself to that? But I wanted to be there and it was so healing for me and it was such a happy day for me. So my advice to Jeanette is really to not make assumptions and to ask and communicate with people you you know that are close to you. Because also, 
my guess is they don't want you to to hide your excitement for your pregnancy. There might be certain times, but communication is key. Yeah. And I'm sure it's different for every person. Yeah. And as you were talking, I mean, I haven't been through even a fraction of what you've been through, Kelsey, but I did. Um, I lost a pregnancy at 20 weeks, and that wasn't anything I ever expected to happen. I hadn't told very many people. It was my second pregnancy, and I just thought I would keep it a secret longer. But to have to go through that loss so alone, like, I just felt like that was a lot to, uh, it was just, it's a lot. And I'm so grateful that you shared your point of view, because I think we all could use a little more help in looking how to to empathize and to meet people where they are and to, and to connect even through the hard things. So thank you yeah, so much for that. And honestly, it it was great. I had my people who had experienced what I had experienced, and there were times when I needed to tap in to that community. And then there were other times when I loved this niece of mine. And to this day, she's seven now. And I have such happy memories, or I have such happy feelings looking at her and thinking, what would my son Leo be doing? He'd be turning eight this year. Oh my God. Like it's actually a happy thing for me. And I think that's because I've allowed my sister to share in that happiness and not sit in that sadness and anger. And that's taken a lot of work to get there. But I really felt like Leo, my son, he would not want me to live that way. And so that's what really motivated me to do that work, to try and get to a place where I could be really happy for my sister and and watch this little girl grow up and and celebrate her. And so I I consider that a gift from my son Leo. I and it's truly one of one of the the greatest joys in my life. Yeah. I love that. Well, Kelsey, you are a light and a delight, and I feel so blessed to know you. Where can people find more about you and everything you're doing and Recipe Club? Yeah. Well, um, you can find me on Instagram. I'm Kelsey Nixon on Instagram, and there I share lots of tips, techniques, tools, recipes to help you get dinner on the table for your families. If you are interested in recipes and weekly and monthly meal plans, I have a recipe club that we'll make sure you guys get an, an awesome discount too. Yeah, we'll and post that in the show notes. Yes. So look at the show notes. We'll have a but little we discount. Have a, we, have a great, we have a great time in recipe club. It's a fantastic community. And then should anyone have any specific questions about growing families? I know this is kind of crazy, but I have met so many wonderful people who have been in a unique situation like I am where not, they're not able to have their own kids anymore. And if anyone ever has a question, you can always send me an email and I or a DM and I will do my best to, to offer up some advice because I just, I know how broken it can feel to be in that situation. And um, it's been a really beautiful thing communicating and meeting people along the way who are, are navigating that. Well, you are so generous. That's so kind of you. Thank you so much. And another shout out about your recipe club. So yeah, we'll put a discount in the show notes. Stay tuned for maybe a giveaway for a subscription to Recipe Club, um, along with a month book subscription. And I just want to say what I love about your recipes, not only are they great and they're easy and everyone always loves them, but you always include like a section for substitutions or just a way to work smarter and not harder. Yeah. And even we do a, one thing that's popular in the club is we do a parent plate and a picky eater plate. And that's highly influenced by the fact that I live with a picky eater (laughs) right now. And so we give an example of how to deconstruct everything 
every recipe in Recipe Club in case you are dealing with a kid who refuses to have food touch one another like my <laughs> child does. We've all been there. It's all it's all a phase. She's coming out of it. We're getting there. But yeah, it's created for people who are trying to feed their families and do it with a, a bit more ease and enjoyment. Yes, Kelsey, that is exactly what we want, <laughs> to be able to feed our families with more ease and enjoyment. And a little shout out for the recipe club this month in January, Greek shredded pork pitas. They are a winner. Little shout out for anyone who submitted questions for this episode. And if you want to be part of the chat in the future, follow me on Instagram at Vanessa Quigley and join our Facebook group, Mom Force by Chatbooks. Hope to hear from you soon. 